Hey, hi. I'm Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. And before we get started, this is going to be a normal episode of me actually talking about a thing. Because I haven't had one of those in a long time, because I've been taking care of Little Miss Dog, who I'm staring at right now, and she is the best dog ever, um, because she has been recovering from spinal surgery. So I've had to devote a lot of time and attention to that. But, especially on Thursday nights, when I usually record this, so, you know, whatever. Um, but, I am not going to see Detective Pikachu tonight. I am going to see Detective Pikachu on Friday night. I got one of three seats in the theater at 7 o'clock at night, which I know is like, on Friday night, that seems not insane, but also it's the first live-action Pokemon movie, and if all the stars align as I've kind of like jury-rigged them too very easily, I will have a special guest to talk about that movie with, and we will be recording that on Saturday, meaning it will definitely come out next Thursday, and it will be great. I'm really looking forward to it, so definitely look forward to that. Um, in the meantime, I am preparing to relaunch the website, but it will be built by me by hand and not, like, auto-updated the way it was. It will be more of a, it will be, it'll be the same thing that it was, just with slightly different functions. It won't be as robust because... Oh, so anybody who's listening to this who had been to the website and liked it, I'm sorry it's gone. I know, I know. It, it it was it I liked it a lot too. But what what had happened was um it got super hacked. It got like hacked by assholes multiple times. Thanks, internet. Um in that the uh, what's it called? The the domain itself got super compromised. And so I had to, like, unhook it and, like, do a bunch of shit just to be able to keep the domain, period. So I am building another website that doesn't depend on WordPress because the vulnerability that got it hacked in the first place was because of Word the WordPress integration bullshit. So I'm working on that. I'm really excited about that because that's coming along really nicely. I'm really happy with it. It has a how should I put this? It has it has a kind of air of the old website, but it feels less like a template. Because it's not, it's like I built it by hand. And for those of you who don't know, once upon a blue moon, I built websites for people. And I, you know, did graphic design for a living. I don't do that now. I buy furniture for rich people. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is currently my job. Which also is why I've been a little scatterbrained and it's been harder to, like, sit down and record because... Tis the season for buying furniture for rich people right now, and it's a lot. I'll, I'll level with you. It's a lot. So, um, 
yeah, but all of that said, let's jump into the show we're talking about this to this episode, and that show is a little beautiful show by the name of Mushishi. I've talked about my love of the kind of original Hayao Miyazaki. Stop it. I'm, I'm talking to my dog. If, I, if it sounds like I'm talking to my dog, it's because I am talking to my dog because I have to have my door open to my studio so I can make eye contact with her and tell her to stop it. But, um, I, so I have talked about my love for, my gushing love. You can listen to this episode not a great episode, but I'm glad that I did it, of Princess Monoki. And one of the things that Princess Monoki does really well, 
and that Hayao Miyazaki captured really well is this, like, ethereal quality that Japanese folklore gives nature. And this, but the thing that that movie does that makes it so appealing to a Western audience is it sets up two sides to be good and evil. But Mushishi is a little different. And by the way, this might be a shorter episode for a variety of reasons. I'm looking at you, dog. I'm literally looking at you. Stop it. Um, but <laughs> I... Um, what Mushishi does is different. Mushishi lets nature exist as just nature. Lets it exist as not a force of good or evil or... It has no vindictiveness. What happens in Mushishi as a result of nature, as a result of the creature called the Mushi, it isn't, um, it isn't evil. And the great thing about it is that it, the show doesn't portray it as evil. It portrays it as exactly what it is, which is, um just happenstance. It just happens to people. The first the the first episode in the first episode the kid the kid who goes blind, it's not because something it's because something magical happened to him, but it's something magical that could happen to anyone. So, um to give you a good analog if you've never seen the show, um, Pat Noswald, and this is a terrible uh, analog, but it fits. Patton Oswald's wife dies. She died in an extremely odd way. It has to do with, like, clotting of blood in, like, the hands, I think. And it, apparently it's a thing that can happen to anyone at any time, but it happened to her. And she died, and it's incredibly sad, but it's not it's not a selective thing. It's not something you could select out for, or you could aim at anyone else. You couldn't cause that thing to happen. I forget what the actual illness that happened to his wife was, but it, it's this very happenstance thing. Another way to think about this is, is the theory of black holes, in that Black holes could show up anywhere, anytime, and just, like, rip your arm off. But Now, they don't, but they, the point is that they could. Um, but, so, that's the way, that's the relationship that Mushishi um, trades on immediately. And they also have this... Um, narrative with the main character, whose name I will have in a second, um, where he is adept at dealing with those problems. And the really unique thing is that he isn't just dealing with the problems, he's using Mushi to counteract Mushi. He's, he's in effect, using nature to deal with nature, and it's the whole um, thing of the show 
is the the whole kind of theme of the show is like nature to counteract nature in a weird way and the main character specializes in the study of mushi and oftentimes he will like if he can get his hands on the mushi that's causing whatever the problem is he will take it he will like take it and study it or take it and like add it to a collection and because uh, this um this show has this real has this feeling of somebody who learned how to camp in the forest when it comes to the main character once again i don't remember his name but um basically what i mean is is that he understands like the mushy equivalent of like you can eat these mushrooms, but these mushrooms will kill you. But these mush, but if you grind this and if you grab this herb up, it will like help with congestion. And this, this he has this understanding and this practical knowledge of um of mushy that is designed to help people. And, um, since Mushi don't have the goal of ever, of anything except for being, so that, so in, the best way to, um, oh, and the main character, the main character's name is Ginkgo, and Ginkgo, you know, travels around, and this, this show has all at once an episodic feel compounded by this, as you watch the show, introduced over your arching story. And what I mean by that is Ginkgo is presented to you as this mysterious, as this mysterious man who like travels from like troubled spot to troubled spot and helps people coexist with Mushi. Because it, once again, it's not about it's not like he's one of the Ghostbusters and he's going and capturing Mushi everywhere. It's that he's helping people coexist with them. So, but sometimes that means if a Mushi can't safely exist in the same space as a human, he will separate the two and, like, put the Mushi somewhere or put the human somewhere else. So the two don't have the opportunity to interact again. And, or he'll use one Mushi to counteract another Mushi. And it, but as you go along, you realize more and more about Ginko, about Ginko as a character. And you learn that he was and is that he, in addition to studying the mushi he has had like a unique connection to them for a while and that is why he's capable of studying the mushi and why he's capable of being what the show referred to as a mushi master and that he learned that from someone else and there is this lineage of mushi masters there is essentially a lineage of people who study for all intents and purposes spirits and supernatural, what I'm going to call supernatural nature, 
and studies how to the applications of that in the same way, at least the show presents it this way, as one would present a doctor as learning, like, the how medicine works and the application of that medicine. So, um, to give you another analogy, the way that um, Ginkgo uses Mushi is the way that doctors use medication. You can use them as... But not every Mushi has only one use case. There are reasons to use Mushi for all kinds of different things. And in the same way that if you ever see a ad for a drug, if you ever see more than one ad for a drug, but they're for treating different things, that's because some drugs are, like, approved for multiple different kinds of uses. And Mushi function in the same capacity. Now, the thing that Mushishi really captures, and actually it captures it best in its opening theme, which you'll have heard in the beginning of this podcast, Um, but it captures this feeling of nature being all around you, nature being unavoidable, and, but not only that, but it, in the opening theme, it forces you to acknowledge and appreciate the nature, the very nature that Ginkgo traveled through, the woods, and it has all these shots of, like, God rays of sunlight coming through the woods and like streams and all this, all these little things. It's all done to this really fascinating, actually, song that is one of the better songs to ever be put in front of an anime ever called The Sore Feet Song, which if you have always wanted to like listen to it on repeat, you can go do that on probably Spotify, but definitely on Apple Music. Like, I did that this week. Um, and if you ever listen to that song carefully, yes, it's beautiful and it's got this, like, floatiness to it. But it, the way that it describes this person who's waiting, or these different people are waiting for different people, it's this escalating, terrifying existence where, like, there's people killing bears in the woods. There's people going on, like, crime sprees. There's people, like, doing bad shit. I don't think there's people killing other people in that song, but there's close. I wouldn't be surprised if someone was like, nope. There are definitely people killing other people in this song. I think there might be, now that I think about it. But it... It... The thing that the song captures that is so important to the show is by, like, mashing that up with the kind of, like, beautiful, pastoral, natural backgrounds of the show that you see in, that you see in the show itself. The show leaves you with this calm of just being, and that there is no, and that even, like, I mean, like, yes, there's evil, I'm not going to say they're not evil, but that 
every bad deed done by someone is not in the name of advancing, like, them being evil. Sometimes it's just them being. Sometimes if, you know, a kid robs a convenience store, it's not because he is the scourge of society. It's because he wants to eat and he hasn't had money for three months. And, or, like, if somebody kills a bear in the woods, it's because it was kill or be killed and that person wanted to continue being. And the way they frame that in the Sore Feet song is with the idea of waiting for somebody else. And that, what's interesting there is that that gives the act of continuing to survive, which is very basic, like, keep breathing, to keep breathing, act this, like, romantic bent to it that doesn't, that people don't think about survival as as romantic. People think about survival as necessary, but with that, what the Sore Feet song does is it romanticizes survival. It it does what a good anime opening should do in that it if you listen to it and you really take it in, it prepares you for the understanding of what the Mushi are. They are beings who simply exist to exist. And nothing they do is good or evil. It's all just is. And it's just, it's a very, it's got this fascinating concept to it that I never quite saw, that that I never quite heard until I was actually um looking at, looking at the show prop, listening to the opening the other week, and it, it's just, it has this, it has this beautiful respect for nature, and it, by using supernatural creatures, it says something about nature that we probably wouldn't be ready to accept if it were just animals. So what I mean by that is, um, so. How many people listening remember that Disney nature is a thing? Probably not a lot of you, right? But, you know, every couple of years, like, there's a penguin movie coming out or a movie about, like, the forest or some shit. But Disney nature is a thing. And one one of the things Disney nature does, or the thing that Disney nature tries to do, is it tries to, and lots of times does this with penguins, because... People have a thing for penguins since March of the Penguins. Thank you, Mor- thank you, Morgan Freeman. Um, but it it tries to assign. To, it basically, what they do is they take. They did this with monkeys a while back. Um, they take basically nature documentary footage, the kind of footage you would see on Animal Planet. And they try to assign human quality to it. So, for the monkey documentary, they, like, 
focused on the monkey families and stuff like that, and they do the same thing for penguin documentaries. They focus on penguin families, and they, like, like talk about the young penguin goes up to his mother, and it loves its mother. That kind of thing. Um, but in doing that, the A, they have to be very careful not to cat to either have a different animal cat to them, like a mean light, or try not to cat anyone in a mean, any animal in a mean light, because then that sets up the opportunity for evil in nature, which is, uh, so, uh, how should I put this? When a hunter kills a deer, like in Bambi, that hunter is taking an act of aggression towards the the deer, Bambi mom or whatever. But when a wolf kills a deer, it's not about aggression. It's about survival, certainly. But it's like it's a cycle. It's a food cycle, and th and that is balanced. But. In the back of our heads, no matter how much we know that, if we see a wolf, boom, take down a deer, we're like, why did the wolf hurt that tiny deer? The deer wasn't doing nothing. And that's, that's part of the human ability to frame things as if they are human interactions. What Mushishi does by not using animals, by not assigning, like, spirit concepts to animals the way that, um, Princess Monoki did, or does, rather, is that it removes that opportunity for you to kind of establish that level of understanding as easily. Because if you see a floating light snake, or, like, a floating, like, see a strand of floating, glowing beads go into somebody's eyes and cause them to go blind. But not even go, but like float into somebody's head and cause them to go blind. I, it doesn't give... It gives you this like eerie feeling. And the, and the thing about the show Mushishi is it has this unsettling eeriness to it because it's got a little bit of like the... Like, uh, the, of, like, a Cthulhu quality to it. But, um, and that is, like, you're not supposed to understand what you're seeing. And what that allows Mushishi to do, and what Ginko, the character, does, is he can explain it, but not from a place where you're trying to, from a place where you're trying to understand, but you, it's, you just can't get there. And um, lots of the Mushi resemble bugs, but that's more of a, like, they want to have a kind of, like, design concept because they need to, to, like... And they also, them resembling bugs allows you to... allows them to, like, up the creepiness quotient. And it just... So... There's another show that... This is kind of similar to called um, Moyashimon, 
And Moyashimon is um of a breed of show that was generally and you can watch Moyashimon on Crunchyroll apparently. But it's this breed of show that was created as almost this weird agricultural tourism thing. So, um for example, um, and I don't know if I've done an episode on Silver Spoon, but I totally should. But Silver, I think I did do an episode on Silver Spoon, actually. You could probably find it somewhere in the feed. Um, there's over 70 of these things now. I can't keep track of everything. But in Moyashimon, it's supposed to be this educational show that's supposed to drive people into agriculture. But what they do is they take the kind of, like, little germs, the little, like, chemical compounds that make, um, that make things, that, like, make the chemistry of, like, making milk and making soy and all these other things, and they turn them into little critters, and it's adorable, and, like, they did a live-action show of it, and it's one of the better live-action versions of an anime, because, they were able to use CGI for these little imaginary characters, and it felt real because you didn't have a basis for, like, the perfect example. Um, if you've seen the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer, Sonic feels bad. I mean, you notice his teeth, but not before you notice just the rest of the Sonic. And they're redesigning it to make it feel good, to make it fit in nature, because, once again, humans have a tendency to apply hum human ideals to animals, especially anthropomorphized animals like Sonic, like Pikachu, like Garfield. Thank you, Giant Bomb, r slash Giant Bomb, for putting... Sonic Field into my life, which is a mashup of the Bill Murray CGI Garfield with face on the Ben Schwartz CGI Sonic body that just... Oh, it's not the worst. The worst is the Agail Sonic that you can find on Twitter, but... <laughs> Whether well, it's making, like, drooly faces and bullshit, but it's... It's something else. But, so, Moyashimon was able to pull it off because they have these very unnatural, like, Pokemon-like characters that they can make out of CGI, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't, your brain's not like, that's not how that looks, because you don't know how it looks. So, um, they... So that's another show that, like, attempts to take these kind of... create these little supernatural characters that float around constantly. And Mushi are in the same kind of vein as the Moyashi-mon in Moyashi-mon. Which, once again, I've seen that show a long time ago, but it is... it's pretty good. <laughs> I might do something on Moyashi-mon, because it's pretty weird and good. But, um, so, yeah, it's... 
Moshishi just has this by and by combining this like haunting quality with the kind of like what I'm gonna call the Cthulhu effect of not understanding entirely what you're seeing, it gives you this feeling of this edu- of like being educational without actually being educational, and but because it's based on Japanese folklore. The stuff is rooted in folklore, and it's it, what's interesting is it's very clear that um, Ginkgo is not the only person who knows about this stuff, but people haven't they haven't encountered they either haven't encountered this stuff or they haven't thought about it in so long they don't um they don't. They certainly don't seek it out, and they don't, um... La, 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 la. They don't understand it because they... Because the stories are told in ways where it's like, and nobody understands why. And it, the story, and it becomes very clear that the folklore gets translated and translated and translated, and that kind of human... Per, human humanity's tendency to project itself on anything it doesn't understand becomes apparent at some point in the story, then, like, Mushi becomes this kind of evil in people's heads, and... But the way that it's presented and the way that Ginkgo explains it, the evil... The idea of good and evil fall away from the whole concept of of Mushi, and it just... They just are. There's no vindictiveness or evil to it. It's not like um, um, yokai. Yokai are like mischievous spirits, but mushi are just. They just exist to exist. And I, I just, I find, I find the show really fascinating every time I watch it or every time I think about it because it. It is one of the more beautiful shows, and it's one of the only shows of its kind, and it it's fairly popular. It's and it's perceived as being very good, and it was good enough to get another season a couple years ago, and I think it deserves it because it's. There's nothing quite like the haunting quality of Mushishi. And I don't think there will be for a long time because it executes on what it does so masterfully in a way that it takes a lot of thought and a lot of care to craft. Um, But yeah, so... I'm going to actually call it here because I need still need to post this. I need to roll the dog over to her proper place and all this other stuff. But um, I hope you liked this episode. If you did like this episode, usually these episodes are a lot longer. They're around 50 minutes to an hour. Um, I will have a more extended episode next week 
with my special with our special guest, um, or with my special guest actually. I'm the only one who runs this shit. Let's be honest. Um, and look out for the new website, and be sure to like and subscribe on iTunes or your pod player of choice. Um, I like to think of myself as a five-star host, five-star runtime. I stole that from Waypoint. Waypoint is dying. It's not dying. It's being folded into Vice, but that still makes me sad. Um, <laughs> but, um, so yeah. So, you know, check out the feed. Listen to any episodes that you like. I post a lot of older episodes because I've been on kind of like weird like hiatus because of dog care, but I plan on doing this every week until I can't do it every week kind of thing. Um, I mean, I'm not going away at all <laughs> if I can help it. So, um, yeah. So I will talk to you guys next time. enjoyed a good fight and we sold all the holes we had to breathe to make the other one leave and I loved the way you looked at me and I missed the way you made me feel Like I used